You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Hey, Poison Pals, welcome to this rewind episode of Headache from Hell, all about the Chicago Tylenol murders in 1982. I talk about this in the episode, but this was the episode that started this podcast. It was the episode I had in mind when thinking about the genre or the theme of what this podcast would be. So this story is both chilling and informative. It also remains unsolved. I did a quick check this morning to see if there's any news or updates that came about in the two years since we originally recorded this episode. Can't believe it's been two years and nothing. Although the police are still receiving tips, nothing substantial has come out of it. So the case remains cold, but it is open. Right. I do have additional details to the original story, but it will be a spoiler, I feel. So we'll add it to the end of the episode for you guys to listen. Okay. But yeah, Megan, I don't know. I know it's been a while since we've mm-hmm. done this episode, but I personally really like this episode because it was, I think it was like the first episode that brought in a lot of science and pharmacology. Mm-hmm. It was like the first time we were talking about laws that were passed or laws that were enacted because of situations or incidents that happen in medicine or yeah. science. Yeah. Yeah. I think on a very, like on a very basic level of just understanding the history of the over-the-counter medicine mm-hmm. that we're so mm-hmm. used to getting, like it's the f- the fun fact that comes from this episode. Yeah. If you were ever wondering why do we package our medication to have like things like yep. cotton inside it or the cap? Why does the cap lock and turn a certain way? Why is there a protective seal? Yeah. And how that you know, has been applied to some of the food products we eat. If you go to mm-hmm. Target, you know, you open up like a package of nuts, there's a safety seal, <laughs> all this stuff. Like it comes from the story. So I think yeah. that's the coolest fact from this because mm-hmm. like if you didn't know about these poisonings you wouldn't mm-hmm. know that like that influenced how we package our drugs absolutely the funnest fact for me is that it is an open case still like we don't yeah. know who did this yeah and that is wild to me and i'm like mm-hmm. are they dead now are they alive is it like the zodiac killer who is someone who is infinitely timeless and <laughs> You know how like meme wise we're like the Zodiac yeah. killer still alive when very very likely they are a very old old person or dead. Exactly. And I'm just like maybe it's the same situation. It's just right. like you know an entity. Vecna, Vecna, Vecna. But I think that's that's what oh, was my impression when you told me the story. That's yeah. what I remember. It was left with. I was like, wow. Like I know. I mean, some part of me, actually, a lot of part of me, hopes and wishes that. It is solved. It's mm-hmm. very likely, as Megan said, that the person who did it is dead by now since it did happen in 1982. But regardless, it still is a case that I want solved. Like, I, we want answers. That's just like right. natural. We want to know who did this because it was a really big deal. It was a, it had a big impact on our society, how we package our drugs, as Megan said, but not just drugs. It impacted all food products, anything that we are ingesting and buying in the store. It impacted all of it. So right. I find the story very fascinating. I hope you guys do too. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Before we get into the rest of the episode, if you've been enjoying our content so far, please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right. On to the rest of the episode. All right. All right. Hello, everyone. Hello. This is a very extra special episode because up until now, Megan and I have been recording separately. Mm-hmm. But today, guess who's right next to me? <laughs> I see her. I don't see her through a screen. Yes. She's living, breathing in person. Yeah. We are IRL hanging out. It is very, very special. And right before this session of recording, Megan and I did our tradition of what we've been doing for many a year now is getting some good fried chicken. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. Here's the thing. I'm a closet chicken eater. (laughs) 
I'm supposed to be a vegetarian, guys. I'm supposed to be Hindu. I swear I'm a good Hindu, but you know, chicken is just sinful good sometimes. That is our tradition. And usually this may bring us some hate, but you know, we gotta, we gotta be transparent on this podcast. We usually, <laughs> we usually eat our fried chicken and also watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> Lots so that's of guilty pleasure. Yes. It's it's just like a, an all out guilty pleasure day. Like if, if you're gonna go out, you better go all out. So yeah. that is our thing. Yeah. Full indulgence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Speaking of traditions and this being a special podcast, since we're literally recording in the same room and mm-hmm. looking at each other and reconnecting all that blah blah blah. We've been talking about our good old college days. Yes. uh, As a reminder to our lovely listeners. (laughs) If you haven't heard it enough by now. I know. (laughs) We've probably mentioned this in a couple other podcasts, but Harini and I were roommates throughout college. We met freshman year because we were assigned to a Mm -hmm. freaking triple bunk bed and a loft bed. Yes. Yes. Oh man, it was tight in that room. We obviously got along famously (laughs) right away and we did this bit (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. It is a bit. You're totally right. <laughs> it was totally a bit. But yeah. we would. I, I want to give credits to Harini on this. But really, <laughs> we we were obsessed with the song "Party" oh, by, Beyonce. by Beyonce. We love that song, and so during our freshman year, Harini and I would like tag team, mm-hmm. following each other around, and we'd approach <laughs> you know people we knew who lived in our dorm, and we would be like, we would annoy people in our dorm. Right. <laughs> be like we're a karaoke machine no not karaoke we're we're a jukebox like a living singing (laughs) two-person jukebox and then harini would mimic putting a coin inside me as a jukebox and we'd start singing party to people party by beyonce to people we just loved every moment of it. oh my god we thought it was the best thing ever we thought we were bringing joy to the people to the masses with our jukebox bit and we just were having a good time i like remember for people who are familiar with ucsd's campus and for those of you who are not uc san diego the campus there there is a very amazing burrito place called goodies and so megan and i would post up usually at night Post yeah. up in front of goodies and just people watch, but also do our jukebox bit just for each yeah. other. <laughs> we just sat there. Whoever would have us and want to <laughs> yeah. see our jukebox bits, like we would do it. And I'm so proud yeah. of us because we would just really go all out and just sing, sing yeah. for the people. We didn't, wow, we were just very unabashed. Yes. And here's the thing. <laughs> Even though we would ask people, hey, pick whatever song you want and di- <laughs> dial right. it in. Megan is your jukebox. She'll sing whatever you want. Her is your jukebox. She'll sing whatever you want. We would say that and then be like, hey, here's your three choices. <laughs> yeah, that that makes me laugh. I totally forgot that. But that was, I think that was essentially the true part of the bit, the comedy yeah. of the bit, which was we'd present ourselves as this all-knowing jukebox, <laughs> choose whatever song, we'll perform it, like a live, you know, music gram, essentially. And then they'd ch- choose their song and we would just start singing party regardless. <laughs> it was a good time. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Alrighty, so I think we're ready. Harini, it is your day. Pick your poison. Here we go. Let me just preface. This story that I'm about to tell today is actually the story I had in mind when I thought of this podcast. Mm -hmm. And this is more very classic as true pharmacy story. It's very drug forward, Mm -hmm. which the reason why I love this story is because it's with a drug that many people know all Mm -hmm. over the world. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, you have taken it before. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's why I find this so fascinating. As Harini had mentioned, this story is what she essentially presented to me for us to start this podcast. And now after researching, essentially, I recognize this potentially is a story that a lot of people know. But Mm -hmm. for me, I had no idea about it. Obviously, it happened before I was birthed, before either of us were right. And so I did learning about it on my own after she told me. I was like, oh, let me look into this. Such a fascinating story. And I actually did read that. What's that oh. last article? The How It Changed the Way We... Yes, the New York Times article. That yeah. one, phenomenal article. Yeah. So I'm excited for you going into this. Perfect. It's, it's a great one. All right, let's let us do this. So I want to get you guys in the setting of the times, like mm-hmm. I always do. So I'm going to take you back mm-hmm. to the late and great 1980s. So we're talking scrunchies. We're talking power suits. <laughs> Aesthetically great. Yes, aesthetically. Politically, mm, maybe mm, not. Maybe not, but neon everything and then chonky computers. Chonky. (laughs) You gotta love it. You gotta love those chonky (laughs) Apple computers. All right. But in the wee hours of September 29th, 1982, in Elk Grove, a suburb of Chicago, 
a 12-year-old girl named Mary Kellerman began to experience symptoms that would unfold into a tragic medical mystery that would change the way we made medications forever. Mary Kellerman told her parents she was having a sore throat and running nose, so, you know, your basic flu symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so her parents gave her one extra strength Tylenol capsule that was, of course, unknown to them, laced with cyanide. Mm -hmm. 12-year-old Mary was dead a few hours later that morning Mm -hmm. at 7 a.m. The news of her death caused mass panic across the U.S. This really horrible thing happened to a very young girl and... No one knows how it happened, right? So at this time, no one understands or is aware that it's coming from the Tylenol. That connection has not been made. Mm-hmm. The same day, just a 14-minute drive away, I did some Google Maps. I put these cities in, very nice. quick thing to do because I was just <laughs> curious. But yeah, so she lived in Elk Grove, and this person lived in Arlington Heights in Illinois. So 14-minute drive away. Mm-hmm. His name okay. was Adam Janice. Look, right. He's a local, yeah. Yeah. 27-year-old postal worker, he dies from what was initially thought to be a massive heart attack, but was soon found out to be cyanide poisoning, just like Mary. Mm. And upon hearing the news of Adam's death, Adam's brother Stanley, who's 25, and his sister-in-law, Teresa, who's 19, Mm -hmm. very young, they rush home to be with their family. Mm -hmm. They grieve, just grieving over this horrifying, unexpected loss And then both Stanley and Teresa, they have this throbbing headache, Mm -hmm. which is, I feel, probably a tension headache, usually common when you are under a lot of sudden stress. So each of them take two Tylenol extra strength capsules Mm -hmm. from the same bottle Adam used earlier that day. Stanley and Teresa died two days later. Yeah. Just, can you imagine? Horrible. Just horrible. If you really sit sit on it. (laughs) That family just lost three people. Exactly. In the, what, less than three days? Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. So, of course, everyone's just, like, in shock, you know, with all these unexpected deaths that are Mm -hmm. happening, right? Yeah. This story just repeats itself over the coming days, resulting in three more deaths. So, 35-year-old Mary McFarland from Elmhurst, 35-year-old Paula Prince from Chicago, proper, Mm -hmm. and 27-year-old Mary Weiner from Winfield, Illinois. And all... You guessed it. Took Tylenol just a few short hours before dying. At this point, it's now early October 1982, and the police are investigating what could be a possible connection to these sudden, unexplained deaths of seven people total. Mm -hmm. They're honestly all young people, right? They're very young. They don't have any particular health conditions that they're aware of, anything out of the ordinary. So the age range is 12 years old from Mary to 35 years old. So Mm -hmm. the police do make the connection eventually, that the deaths are linked to the Tylenol each of the deceased took before their passing. Mm -hmm. So kind of a quick background history of Tylenol at the time. Then in the 1980s, Tylenol was the best-selling over-the-counter pain relief medication sold in the U.S. And arguably, I'd say it still is. Your ibuprofen or Motrin, Aleve, whatever you want to call it, is pretty on par with Tylenol as well. At the time, Tylenol was made as gelatin-based capsules because it was easy to swallow Mm -hmm. and Actually, if I remember correctly, Megan, what? you also have issues swallowing pills. Do you not? I do. I do. Yeah. I think I've gotten better at okay. it. But yeah, swallowing pills has always been hard for me. Mm-hmm. I used to do this thing when I was younger where if I knew I had to swallow a pill, I would take a piece of bread oh. and I would have to chew the bread to get that like eating sensation. Yeah. And then as the bread was formed into the bolus, essentially, <laughs> yes, the bolus. I would quickly shove a pill into mm. that mound in my mm-hmm. mouth and then swallow. And, then... and that would work. Mm-hmm. That would do the trick. Yep. And that would work. Okay. So it's not so much just like a phobia. It's more like you can like trick your brain into yeah, just swallowing something. Yeah. I would something. be able to trick. Yeah. Yeah. Is the weird, like, discomfort thing. Yeah, totally, totally. No, it makes sense. But yeah, so that was one of the reasons it was this gelatin-based capsule, because it was easy to swallow for people. Mm -hmm. And the creators of Tylenol are Johnson & Johnson. Mm -hmm. You know it as Tylenol is a brand name, or acetaminophen is a generic name. Mm -hmm. McNeil Consumer Products, which is a branch under Johnson & Johnson, is a manufacturer of Tylenol. Pretty much immediately, I'm just going to call them J&J. From here on out, <laughs> pretty much Jane Jay and McNeil acted fast upon hearing the news of possibly tampered Tylenol bottles, mm. and they recall all the Tylenol from all the shelves. And this yeah. is a lot. So they recall more than 31 million bottles because you got to think this is, first of all, an over the counter medication. Yeah. This is not like a prescription right. uh, medication. Prescription medications, that's also still a big recall. 
But not everyone is on a blood pressure medication, right, you know? Right, right, right. But a lot of people have yeah. Tylenol in their homes, right? People just have it in their house just to have it in their house. Sometimes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that is a lot of, that's a lot to do. And then on top of that, they issue a mass warning via the media and offer compensation for people who had already purchased a potentially tampered Tylenol bottle. As well as they offered a reward of $100,000 to any person who could help aid or provide vital information on who might be behind these murders. Mm -hmm. So honestly, they did a lot in a short amount of time. Like yeah. as soon as they heard the information, they're like, okay, we, we yeah, got to do something about respond. it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Which should be expected mm -hmm. of something like this. Definitely. So moving on to the investigation. The investigations were not that straightforward. The case was confusing for the public, for J&J &J and the police. Like everyone, just everyone was kind of like confuzzled. Mm -hmm. When they tested the capsules, they had a low of cyanide toxic enough to cause thousands of fatal doses. Mm. So here's the confusing part. So the pills that the victims took came from different production plants, mm. and they were all sold at different stores. So yeah. that's how they confirmed that the Tylenol bottles were tampered after the fact. So after they had left the manufacturing facility. Oh, interesting. So, so thus implying that if there's someone essentially malevolent out there who's mm -hmm. tampering with this, that person hit up those different pharmacies or stores right. and picked and chose which Tylenol bottles that was yeah. gonna... Okay. That's what it seems like. Because yeah. obviously the first, I'm sh I mean, this is where my mind goes, at least. Mm -hmm. My first thought is, oh, is it an inside job? Is someone right. at the manufacturing plant, someone right. at J&J &J or McNeil, who has easy access right, to like these pills? Right, right. Yeah. Anyone there mm -hmm. is like tampering with the Tylenol. That's what I would think. And I'm sure that's what the police thought too. So that was their first thing. They wanted to rule that out. And I'm, I'm sure that's also why... J&J &J was so quick to act because yeah. they obviously we uphold a certain standard. We want to make sure that if it is in fact us, we figure it out. Yeah. Either way, it needs to be resolved. Right. So that's how they decided or that's how they confirmed that it wasn't from the manufacturing plant. So J&J &J is in the clear. McNeil's in the clear. It's clearly someone in the public mm. who's going to these different pharmacies or your, your grocery stores, yeah. picking these Tylenol balls off the shelves, doing whatever with it and like putting it back on the shelves is what it seems like. Yeah. And I apologize if you're going to say this, but mm -hmm. at this time during the eighties, you know, what does the bottle look like security anti-tampering mm -hmm. wise? Like, yeah. Can you explain that for us? Yes, okay. I will. Okay, okay. So that's going to be a big part of it. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a good point. So yeah, therefore the police's theory was that someone must have taken the Tylenol bottles off the grocery shelves or the local drugstore shelves, mm -hmm. laced the capsules with the cyanide, and then returned the bottles to the shelves to be bought by these unsuspecting mm -hmm. victims, which is yeah. just fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Illinois is in a panic, right? So the police even go so far as they go through the streets. They're parading through the streets with a loudspeaker, warning the public about not taking any Tylenol because they can recall all they want. But you were mentioning earlier, Megan, there are people who have Tylenol in their homes already. They already mm -hmm. purchased these and not everyone is aware. Maybe some people don't watch the news, whatever. So they're telling everyone, please do not take the Tylenol that you have. As far as suspects go, so there were a few people who looked good for the murders, starting with a man named James Lewis, who was a tax consultant. Mm. James Lewis claimed to be the Tylenol killer when he wrote a ransom letter to J&J &J demanding $1 million in exchange to stop poisoning people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this guy, Lewis, has a little bit of a peppered past. He was charged with the 1978 Kansas City murder after police found the remains of his former clients in his attic. What did he do again? He's a tax. He's a tax consultant. A tax consultant. Okay. A very um, <laughs> diabolical tax tax consultant. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a total aside. He actually didn't get charged for that murder on a technicality. The police had searched his apartment without a warrant, oh. so he was not eligible to be charged or convicted of the crime. Which is like, come on, guys, get it together. Also, just. I don't know, just terrifying to me that they can get away with that because we yeah. just didn't have a warrant. Exactly. <sighs> Gotta follow okay. the rules, guys, in every walk yeah. of life. All right. This essentially became a wild goose chase and just like a game of cat and mouse. But eventually the police found out that Lewis lived in New York mm -hmm. and could not and did not have links to the Chicago Tylenol poisonings. 
So this idiot was charged with extortion and was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but was released seven years early in 95 for like good behavior or something. Oh, my Atlanta. Exactly. I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I should be more, a little more diplomatic about that. Like, okay. <laughs> but he did also kill people before this. So it's like, come on. Anyways. So unfortunately, this is an unsolved case to this day. Mm -hmm. They still don't know who is behind all this or who's responsible for these events. But the FBI did reopen the case in 2009. At that time, the investigation did take another look at Lewis. They searched his Cambridge, Massachusetts office and searched a storage unit that he rented nearby. Mm. But the FBI has not named Lewis as a suspect in the Mm. reopened investigation yet. The police still have a few of the tainted Tylenol pills, and so they're hoping now, of course, with the new technology in today's day and age, maybe they can recover some DNA and finally crack the case. So in light of that, the police asked for Lewis and his wife's DNA. He has Mm -hmm. a wife. I I just don't understand. I just don't understand (laughs) how these people do it. Anyways. So Lewis and his wife give DNA samples back in 2010. But it doesn't appear there was a match. And the only reason I say that, there's no evidence that it was a match or not. But Mm. assuming if it was a match, the police would say something. But they haven't said anything. So I don't don't think... Can I ask real quick, what was the reason why the case was reopened? I think it was just purely because it was a cold case. And a lot of cases back in the 80s and beyond were kind of left on red, so to speak untouched until new evidence either came out or until now when they actually have the technology to bring new evidence to light. So now with today's technology, they're like, okay, they kind of systematically go through these cases that have been unsolved Mm -hmm. because before there was no cold case task force. That was not even a thing. So more in recent years, they're kind of going through everything. So I believe that is the reason why. They knew they had those Tylenol pills, so they're hoping that they can probably glean some DNA samples from that. Yeah. But in 2011, the FBI gets DNA as well from Ted Kaczynski, who is the Unabomber, uh, to rule out his connection with the murder since the first four of his bombings happened in Chicago, in the Mm. Chicago suburbs from 1978 to 1980. So he he fits the time. time. Yeah, he fits the time, he fits the place. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're in Chicago was because Kaczynski's parents actually have a home in Lombard, Illinois, but he denies any involvement. And he also says that he didn't have access to cyanide at the mm, time. Okay. <laughs> he had access to a lot of other things. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't want to say I believe him or not, mm. but I feel like that's not really his MO, MO you know? Yeah. Maybe maybe he did it before, but I don't know. Because if the bombings happened in 1978 and 80, and then this happened in 82, I'm like, it's just a hard like, left turn. It's like trying a new <laughs> restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Like, yeah. My palate has changed. Let's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what was the aftermath? As sick as this sounds, there were a ton of copycat poisonings Mm, following the Tylenol poisonings. And this was in particular using other over-the-counter medications. This was happening well into the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So from 1982 to early 90s, like that must have been a terrifying time. Like I would not have gone to the drugstore anytime. Yeah. I would have started making my own Tylenol. This is where <laughs> holistic medicine really yes. took off. I, oh, I'm, I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah. So the FDA counted a total of 270 different incidents following the Tylenol poisonings. And these other poisoning attempts had pills laced with rat poison to hydrochloric acid that caused people to be sick across the U.S. So this was not just occurring in Illinois. This is happening all over the United States. And the copycats also expanded to food. So especially around Halloween, Mm. parents found sharp pins and candy corn and chocolate bars. So some communities banned trick-or-treating altogether that year and, and subsequent years after. I've heard stories about this as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, things can be in your candy. And like my parents would check my candy when I would come home. I remember that. I am. Okay. I am kind of slightly chuckling inside. (laughs) Everything she said about the Halloween candy and the, you know, the intentional putting stuff in candy, Mm -hmm. it is bad and it should be taken seriously. But I do laugh because I will say lots of great memes have come out of that fear. Really? Right. right. Like, have you ever seen, there's like a meme where it's like, oh, check your kid's Halloween candy. And it's like a Reese's peanut butter cup and has a whole ass knife in it. Like, just sticking out of it. Oh, or there's there's one other one. That, <laughs> this one is a little bit more smart about mm-hmm. its humor, but it was like a post on Reddit that I saw, and it, it was an image and with text on top, and it's like 
parents are worried about, you know, people giving their kids marijuana gummies or weed gummies mm-hmm. during Halloween. And then someone comments underneath like, no sane weed user <laughs> would so willingly give up their weed gummies to children. This is, that shit costs that, money. That is so, so true. That, that is so enough. true. But my brain went a whole other direction. I thought you were going to make fun of the fact, you know, like you go to a dentist's house and they just give you like floss. <laughs> Yeah, and you're like, what's that shit? Or oh god, the thing I hated Mm. is when you go, you freaking okay. Here's the thing, and we have harped on this multiple times. (laughs) Our love for Halloween goes way back. I I dress up full on every single year of my life. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So, anyways, the thing I would hate the most when I would go trick or treating as a kid is when people would hand out raisins. Oh, like box raisins. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, raisins aren't even good on a good day. Oh, my God. And they're, you know, like, like, why do I want that on the day that I'm allowed to have candy? I know. Makes me mad. Okay, we're going down a tangent, but I have to Yes, yes, yes. You know how last week, was it last week or two weeks ago? Okay, whatever podcast it was, Mm -hmm. we were ranting, raving about Bob's Burgers in our Halloween episodes. So I actually, after that podcast, I started watching those, in particular, the Halloween episodes, and they make a joke about raisins being passed oh, on Halloween. Do they really? Yeah, they do. And they talk about how terrible they are. Who <laughs> would do true. that? You know so, who, sorry you know who I know lovers, said but, that? Oh, wait, go ahead. Louise so. probably said that. Oh, I, it was also Jean. Like, oh, Jean. Jean. Yeah, Jean. <laughs> they God. Anyways. They know what they're talking about, those kids. Yeah. You know what What item won't have drugs in it? Probably the raisins. The yeah. box raisins. Yeah. And no one would even know because no one would touch it anyways. No, no kid would be interested It's safe. It's safe. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Long tangent we? aside. So, again, a lot of copycat murders, but none as deadly as the Tylenol murders. Those were still the most tragic. No one died from those other copycat murders, at least that I know of. Mm. Just very sick. Mm-hmm. And before all of this happened, so before these events... Tylenol, like I said, dominated the over-the-counter or OTC pain market, 35% control of the market, Mm, which is a few weeks after the murders, that number dropped to less than 8%. As horrible as the cost was, it was a series of events that brought about really important and permanent change to the pharmaceutical industry. And this is kind of getting at what you were asking, Megan, earlier. So what were the changes? How, How did this change the way we take medications. Mm-hmm. So like I said, J&J acted fast. They developed new product protection methods with a bulletproof promise to do better and be better at protecting patients and consumers. Mm-hmm. At first, J&J thought they would just change the name to something else mm-hmm. so that they're not really like as associated right. with the name Tylenol, but they realized very quickly like that's not going to cut it. You know, people die. Yeah. Which is honestly makes me feel so good because I I feel that in this day and age, the here and now, mm-hmm. big pharma is looked at as like such a villain. Yeah, God. sometimes they are. Right, like, right. What can you say? Like, yeah, they do shitty things. They up our meds, <laughs> like the costs, all that stuff. So that's why, like, when I hear that, where they're just like, oh, you know ethically changing the name is not enough let's Mm -hmm. follow like the right thing to do that makes me feel good they realized yeah it's not gonna cut it so they work very closely with the fda to introduce for the first time ever tamper-proof packaging so now you'll notice when you go to your cvs your walgreens for my northern california folks (laughs) and Publix for my east coast folks (laughs) yeah yeah my east coasters yeah if you go and pick up a bottle of anything over the counter There will be foil seals Mm -hmm. and other features that make it obvious to any consumer if that bottle was open before they purchased it, right? We've all been there. Sometimes it's the most difficult thing ever to open your bottle of ibuprofen, right? I have to stab it with a knife every time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You're reading the directions that you barely read on the cap. And you're like, okay, I'm turning the damn cap and I'm pushing at the same yeah, time yeah. and you're taking forever and nothing's happening. Or you thought you pulled out all the cotton from inside yeah. and there's still some more wedged in and then yeah. you pull it and then pulls all the freaking pills out. Oh, yeah. We've been there. Yeah, We've yeah. been there. But they're there for a reason. It might be annoying as fuck, but that is our safety standard yeah. to protect yeah. us because this is the event that made all that happen. And as I hinted at, these package protections became industry standard for all over-the-counter medication. And honestly, not even just medications, for everything. Mm-hmm. And another huge change was changing the capsule to a tablet. So changing the formulation altogether. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, as someone who 
is in the industry and has worked at a pharmaceutical company as an intern, mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to kind of go through the manufacturing process and mm -hmm. get a tour of like the labs and how they do all the things. Mm -hmm. It is a monumental task to even get it into a formulation at all mm -hmm. and making sure that formulation works in a person's body as it should with minimal side effects, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So changing the formulation to something else after they've already been doing it one way for so long, that's a lot of work that's, yeah. and that's a lot of money. But they did it because they knew, they knew it was the right thing to do. So they changed it to the capsule, to a tablet. And there are now very few medications, if you may notice, there's very few over-the-counter medications at least that are capsules. Yeah. The reason for that is because whoever did these murders was able to do it by opening up the capsule and sprinkling in the potassium cyanide and then putting the capsule back together. Mm. What is worse is the TV commercials for Tylenol at the time literally had a person showing you how they open up the capsule wow. and sprinkle the contents on their food, etc. Because that is a benefit for people who have issues swallowing pills right. and right. for the elderly. This is something we still do today. Yeah. It's called compounding. Like if you are able to, you can compound other oral formulations into a capsule or even like an oral solution. Mm -hmm. So people who are elderly who have issues swallowing pills, yeah. they can just put it in their food or mm -hmm. they can take it with juice or milk or whatever it is yeah. as a solution. So this was actually a great benefit. Mm -hmm. But because you can't have this on the shelves readily available, now they just keep it to prescription drugs. So you actually have to get it handed to you by a pharmacist. So mm -hmm. that's more safe. So that's why capsules out of the picture. So essentially it was like, it was essentially an instructional how-to for the sinister plot and critics confidently announced the death of Tylenol, of course, mm. in the wake of these murders. But J&J, &J, they invested a hundred million into doing all of these changes. Mm -hmm. and within a year, they bounced back to their normal numbers. Yeah. And once again, fave pain relief medication. Yeah. So now people praise, even to this day, the ingenuity, the innovation, and the tenacity of J&J &J that they display. The public was so impressed by the way J&J &J responded because mm -hmm. they understood that they weren't going to be judged by the problem, but by how they responded yeah. with a solution. This particular situation has become a classic case study in an effective crisis management for business schools across yeah. the nation. Yeah. What I found interesting when I was going through all my research and going through my articles Almost every single article mentioned this. Everyone was raving about how they handled the situation yeah. so well. And then they use it as a case study specifically in comparison to other companies from today, namely Wells Fargo, their mm -hmm. whole scandal, well, the banking system, the, the debit cards. Yeah. And then there's another company called Equifax yeah. with, I think, credit reports, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest one, Facebook. Mm -hmm. They all had scandals. They all handled it so incredibly poorly. You guys are some of the biggest companies in the world. And what we're seeing more of today, which is very sad, is these companies sit on this bad information. Right. They sit on it and they sit on it and they don't do anything about it mm -hmm. until it's forced to come out, until it finally comes out to the public. And then they're forced to make some kind of response to it. And then they push it back under the rug. Yeah. You know? Until they're forced to sit in front of U.S. legislation <laughs> exactly. and reveal that they're actually robots. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And I, yeah. I think that everything that you said ties into earlier my sentiment about like how we see big pharma as evil, mm -hmm. but it's, it's not just them. It's it's all the examples that you gave yeah. and this idea. It might not even have been 2016, but it, I do feel like there is a trend of the 21st century that yeah. these companies that make trillions of dollars, they just... Part of me wonders, like, is it because they they just make so much money that, yeah, this is all bad, but this won't really bring us down, so. No, completely. Why, and, why yeah. handle it? But <laughs> so, it's, it is true, though. They don't have to necessarily. And full disclosure, I know nothing about business and economics, <laughs> so I'm sure there's an actual scientific answer that explains why these things are handled the way that mm. they are. But someone who's just an observer yeah. and thinks that I am, um, you know, morally good, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I just wonder, I'm like, you know, what are these, these big wigs thinking? Yeah. Where's the, no. where's the line? So anyway. I think you're right in the sense that they are so big and they have so much money to fall back on. It's kind of like 
uh sure yeah we, we we fucked up okay moving on you know yeah there's no i guess moral compass within them to feel like oh we're we're gonna do something like we're responsible right. for what happened i don't know yeah. or I, like yeah or like who are their investors essentially mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. the people that they're actually yeah. in bed with I'm not trying to spew conspiracy or yeah. anything but i i mean i think that is probably fact at this point like these companies have connections and maybe they're just so tied up with that that they're like we can't do anything yeah yeah there might be more of the story that we're not aware of but but good on j and j good on j and j but yeah so one year later in 1983 the u.s congress passed the tylenol bill that made it a federal offense to tamper with any consumer product so not just medications And in 1989, the FDA established official guidelines for drug manufacturers to make all of their products tamper-proof, which is fantastic. Okay, so that's honestly the story. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go into toxicology of things. We did talk about cyanide's toxicology in a previous episode. Check out episode two, Don't Drink the Kool-Aid, for more detailed discussion of cyanide toxicities. I will do a quick recap. I recognize there might be some people just tuning in right now. Yeah. But one thing I did want to discuss that is applicable to any drug, legal or not, is something called an LD50. It is not something I talked Mm, about in episode two. So an LD50 stands for a lethal dose or concentration that is lethal to 50% of the population. And this is something that every person in the pharmaceutical industry will use Mm -hmm. because we're trying to assess, obviously, is this safe? Is medication safe? The majority of the drugs that we take, again, title this podcast that shit is poison everything can be poison Mm -hmm. just depends on how much you take it every drug you take there's always specific guidelines a range Mm -hmm. of the dosing and there's always a max dosing on your package insert yeah so if you inhale cyanide as a gas the ld50 is 100 to 300 parts per million Mm -hmm. and causes death within 10 to 16 minutes Mm -hmm. so with death happening faster with higher concentrations an ld50 for ingesting a cyanide pill or tablet so anything oral is 50 to 200 milligrams, which isn't that much. Mm -hmm. So just to give you a good comparison, a regular dose of Tylenol, one pill, Mm -hmm. is 325 milligrams. Okay. Extra strength is usually 500. Mm -hmm. So now let's just take our minds back. So this is an extra strength Tylenol pill that is a capsule. Mm -hmm. So it's not detailed exactly how this happened, but in my mind, what I see this person doing, they're taking out full contents of the yeah. Tylenol and they're repackaging it with this cyanide powder. Yeah. So that's 500 milligrams of cyanide that you're taking with the high end of the LD50 being 200. So well, that is you, more than double the amount. Do you think... Okay, you, you just told mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Do you think they legitimately emptied all the contents of the Tylenol and packed it all with cyanide or do you think it was a blend good question yeah honestly probably a blend yeah probably That's a blend what i would imagine yeah yeah so it was never at least in the research yeah. i looked at it was not detailed exactly how much cyanide was found right. in each pill right. either way if you have 500 milligram capsule that's still a good amount that you can pack in right. there if the lower end of the ld50 is 50 milligrams that's a lot of room in your 500 milligram Absolutely. capsule right and it's one of those things that's, I think it's like, unless the person who was responsible for tampering with all mm-hmm. these capsules was someone who is, I mean, I would imagine this is someone who is like really clean with their work, obviously. Yeah, it's definitely. an unsolved case. So maybe mm-hmm. I'll give, I'm not trying to say I'm giving them this credit, but maybe they did specifically measure out, you know, some, yeah. a certain amount. But at the same time, like, they could have been a person that's like, no one's gonna open their capsule and check how much yeah, is in there. So completely. maybe it was a full capsule of 500 milligrams of cyanide. And, that would be insane. But, and if I remember correctly, yeah. potassium cyanide powder is white. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the Tylenol capsule powder is also white. Mm. I mean... You can easily pack it full to the brim with just potassium cyanide and probably no one would be the wiser. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. It's obviously way too much work to fill every single capsule, right. even if you're blending it right. with, with the cyanide. Most of these bottles at the time were filled with 50 capsules, mm-hmm. roughly. So what I think he did, he just pulled you know an assortment of bottles off the shelves, brought it home, and then just picked out a handful, maybe like 10 of that yeah. 50. Yeah. And it's kind of like this sick game of Russian what, roulette. What, yeah, it's total yeah. Russian roulette. So I think that's that was his whole plan. Yeah. And, you know, now that I'm really, like, absorbing it and trying to think about the process of <laughs> how someone would execute this, and, man, 
I praise that there won't be another poison because I'm, yeah. I'm about to state how I would essentially do it. <laughs> I think the cleanest way you can probably get away with that is you take one bottle home, you take all the tablets, you fill every single tablet with it, mm. and then you go back to the store. Yeah. And you just take one tablet from that one bottle that you mm-hmm. and place it into different bottles throughout Girl, the you're county. Right. Girl, you are right. <laughs> That would be one way to do it. (laughs) Guys, we we have a lot of theories that we put on this podcast. We are not encouraging you guys. Sorry, I should for that. Because I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're right. I think that's actually probably, you know, they say in life, don't work hard, work smart. That is working smart. (laughs) Uh, However you did it. And like Megan said, however he did it, he's still not caught. But we are hopeful. We are hopeful that with this new DNA evidence, something will come out of it. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry I keep interrupting, but like no, I'm having all these thoughts now. Yeah. Like, so you're saying he, he, but part of me is like, oh, you, know, you know, poison is a woman's drug. That's the whole You're thing. so right, right, Megan. What if it's a woman? I, however they might identify. <laughs> exactly. I, I apologize yeah. for kind of already gendering that. That is, I apologize. No, yes, it no, is. it's all good. Definitely yeah. does not have to be a man at all. It could easily, easily be a woman. Yeah. In fact, it might. <laughs> it might. Yeah. And Anyone could be. It could be a whole group of people. Who? That's very knows? true. It could be a whole organization. Yeah. And I don't think we need to apologize about misgendering a murderer. Yeah. Like honestly, they murder people. True. Do they deserve that? That's true. That's Do true. Do they deserve a little humanity in that sense? No. Mm. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> no. That is the toxicology of cyanide. And just for a quick recap of what makes that shit poison, this will be a repeat for our fellow listeners from before. But as a refresher, cyanide once in the bloodstream forms a complex of cytochrome oxidase, which prevents the formation of ATP in oxygen. Mm -hmm. With no oxygen oxygenating our blood, cells and organs, it causes cytotoxic hypoxia, and a shift of our body systems into anaerobic metabolism, so metabolism that does not require oxygen, and this leads to an accumulation of lactic acid in the blood. So the combined effect of hypoxia and lactic acidosis causes CNS depression, leading ultimately to respiratory arrest, which mm-hmm. is basically suffocation, yeah. and then death. So wow. a really horrible, horrible way to die. And the antidotes are oxygen and sodium thiosulfate, which basically binds cyanide and metabolizes cyanide to a safer form to be excreted out of the body. What's interesting to know about cyanide is that it isn't necessarily lethal. Mm -hmm. If you give it to a person in low chronic doses over time, Mm -hmm. like it would be with lead, for example, or Mm -hmm. arsenic, just to call back, Megan talked about lead poisoning in Mm -hmm. our episode five, so if you want to listen to that. Yeah. It is that sandwich is poison. Yes. <laughs> so <Not> sandwiches. Exactly. <laughs> so that's actually really interesting. So cyanide is only lethal when it's given as an acute poisoning episode. Not to give any ideas, once again. <laughs> so 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 you so I want to confirm. So yeah. you are saying unlike lead, mm-hmm. which you can incrementally give over time and it'll accumulate into the Correct. To- toxicness. Uh, toxicity mm-hmm. cyanide is not the same it no. has to be that one and done moment it can't be incremental it won't yeah. have that same does that have to do with how our body processes cyanide yes time? so the reason for that is mm-hmm. cyanide does not accumulate in our bodies with oh, chronic okay. exposure yeah. to sublethal concentrations yeah so that's why so if you have to basically give it in a lump sum for you wow. to just you know kill somebody if you chronically dose somebody with sublethal concentration, so let's say if your LD50 is, they said 50 to 200 milligrams and you're yeah. giving them, I don't know, let's say 10 to 15 milligrams yeah. a day, that's just not going to cut it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's not going to cut it. But there are cases of people who have had chronic cyanide poisonings from having a consistent diet that contains significant amounts of the cassava plant oh. because that actually contains low amounts of cyanide. Okay. But that's very, you know, far and few between. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's like a... I ate a lot of cassava right. today. <laughs> right, right. So see, that's the thing. Is if you eat a lot in high amounts, it probably would be close enough in time in terms of the half-life. Right, whereas right. it does accumulate in a sense. Yes. And then you can get a low cyanide toxicity. Yeah. Okay, I get that. I understand. I don't believe you could die from that, though, unless yeah. like you're force-fed like a ton of cassava. <laughs> Just hey, shoved hey, hey. down into you. <laughs> That is my thought process on that. But anyways, test that theory. No, 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 no one tests that. (laughs) But yeah, so that is the story of the 1982 Chicago 
Tylenol murders. Wow. Yes. Let me get into my sources. First source is from PBS, my favorite, favorite channel, my family channel. (laughs) How the Tylenol murders of... Oh, here we go. Gave it away. Okay, there it is. (laughs) How the Tylenol murders of 1982 changed the way we consume medication by Dr. Howard Markle. A brief history of the Tylenol poisonings from Time by Dan Fletcher. An article from the New York Times titled... Poison deaths bring U.S. warning on Tylenol use. And this one, if I'm not mistaken, was actually from 1982. So this mm-hmm. was like a newspaper article I read from the Times. Okay. And then lastly, the New York Times, another New York Times article, How an Unsolved Mystery Changed the Way We Take Pills by Clyde Aberman. And of course, wiki wiki. But I guess what I wanted to say about Big Pharma, because... I think that is definitely a theme that's going to pop up in any everyone's minds when they hear this story. Mm-hmm. Big Pharma is evil. Big Pharma is that. I definitely agree to mm-hmm. a certain extent mm-hmm. and call me biased for being in the field. But here's the thing. Just like in any industry, everything is a business, yeah, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, they want to make their money, be compensated for the time and effort. And this is something people may or may not know, but it takes a long time to create a drug. Mm-hmm. Many times, these companies do not see the fruition of their efforts until after 20 years right. of just tinkering in the lab. And then finally, they're able to put something out to market that the FDA will approve yeah. and deem safe for the public. Right. So 20 years of not seeing any results or really getting you know compensated. Yeah. That 20 years of work is put into the price of the drug. Whether or not that is ethical is a different story, right? And that's where it's hard. It is a difficult business to be in because you're in the business of people's lives. Yeah. So there's many different parts of the healthcare industry in itself, not just pharmaceutical companies, Mm -hmm. that are towing the line when it comes to it being ethical or not. On the flip side of it, it is hard because it is, at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, it is a business because you are providing jobs to people and you have to compensate these people for their jobs. And it's just unfortunate it is in the business of people's lives. It's like this catch-22 because you're not supposed to put a number on people's lives. That is just kind of my two cents on it. There's always going to be evil people in every industry and people who are just greedy and I 100% know that there are pharmaceutical companies out there that are not doing their due diligence and are doing it for the money and kind of may have lost sight of what's really important, which is the patients and saving lives. But there are also many, many a company that are not like that. So yeah, I appreciate you, you know, giving that insight because ultimately it is one of those things where it's like, it's easy to say, okay, big pharma is Mm -hmm. evil or whatever, but it ultimately it's like, is it more so their byproduct of the system that we have built in what is uniquely Mm -hmm. United States healthcare and Western capitalism? And I'm not trying to make any statement on capitalism or whatever, because again, I'm not an economist, but Mm -hmm. I think it is one of those things where it's like, is it the product or is it the system that it's built yeah. into? And ultimately, right. I'm a believer of it's always going to be the system. And mm-hmm. it just is unfortunate that because of the system, there uh, are people who then abuse it. And that that's yeah. who kind of you reference with the people who aren't doing their due diligence mm-hmm. in, in pharmaceuticals. So Oh, yeah, I agree. I'll be the first to say that our healthcare system is so backwards. And I'm not even thinking about insurance when I say that. Just the way hospitals are run and the way that drugs are priced in our country. There's, I could go on and on and on. I I think there's so many flaws and there's so much work to be done. And that's a big reason why I wanted to be in this field to hopefully elicit some change. Nothing is um, ever as clear cut. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's good because there's always room for change and room for improvement. Absolutely. Yep. And that is my story. We, awesome. we can wrap that shit up. Yeah. Okay. I, I do have <laughs> yeah, one last please, question please. about the story. So J&J obviously responded so well that they, you know, they were praised for their response. They were very quick about it. They essentially changed how everyone manufactures their pills, essentially. Mm-hmm. My question was, you kind of hinted there was like a little bit of suspicion placed on them. I mean, you could argue mm-hmm. potentially oh, they responded too well. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like was For there sure. ever suspicion about that? Like, while wow, they really tried mm-hmm. to get that, get the attention off them. Is there mm-hmm. anything um, on that conspiracy-wise? That is a good question. And surprisingly, no. Like, okay. the articles, technically these articles should be neutral and unbiased. Right. Right. And 
they were waiting for them to not respond right away and just kind of sit on their hands a little bit and be like, oh, it's not us. When you actually look at the case, they were more proactive. We are responsible for the situation, regardless or not, if it came from our manufacturing Mm -hmm. facility or not. This is still our product and we have to stand behind it. And so we got to fix this. So that was their sentiment from the start. Yeah. There might be, maybe I just didn't look into more articles that might have voiced that, but from the articles that I've read, that was not the case. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. I do like that. I think it shows that, honestly, when you own up, even though, as you said, Mm -hmm. they weren't even the ones to do it, but Mm -hmm. when you kind of like show that vulnerability, I think there's so much more respect that comes after that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it didn't matter that it was this, you know, crazy person that it was out of their control. Right. No one's going to remember that. They're yeah. All they're going to remember is, oh, this is the Tylenol. Name, the name of Tylenol. Yeah. They're, yeah. No one's going to want to touch it. And like they said, people are only going to remember us for this problem unless we respond to it yeah. with a solution. It's true. To this day, mm-hmm. people are remembering only their solution. And if anything, it has brought more people to, I guess, respect Tylenol. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. But you know? And still use it. Yeah, yeah. And still use it, most yeah. importantly. Okay, so before we end the episode, I'll add some color to the Tylenol poisonings with this information I found in 2022. Richard Walter, one of the nation's premier criminal psychologists and co-founder of Vidoc Society, which is a monthly gathering of cold case experts, so cool, mm-hmm. says that the person <laughs> who killed Raymond West and the seven victims of the Tylenol murders could be one in the same. Walter says, quote, there's a tendency to focus too much on the crime itself rather than the crime type. It's not what the killer thinks, it's what he does that matters most. To him, both the, the Tylenol murders and the West cases, West case are evidently the work of a power assertive killer. Although the Tylenol murders were more passive than active killing, it still bears an icy and equally deadly power play. Walter points out that Lewis referring to himself in first person in his extortion letter is indicative of a sociopathic need to brag about his work. Quote, mm. this is what it says in the letter. It says, quote, I have spent less than $50 and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. So after Lewis is in jail, he reaches out to the head detective and says he is willing to help find the real perpetrator and goes on to draw a series of diagrams of how he thinks the real killer would have opened up the Tylenol capsules to fill them up with cyanide. So this diagram shows eight holes in a block of wood that are shaped to fit one Tylenol capsule. So exactly eight Mm. half capsules can be held in place while an unidentified powder is swept over the holes into the open capsules with a butter knife. So, Mm. and then below the drawings in black letters, Lewis wrote, not drawn to scale. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll post this diagram to our website on the episodes page, but that is the update that I have for you guys. Nothing more. I just thought it was an interesting tidbit. So that is all yeah. I have for you guys today. So we can close on out the episode. Until next time. <laughs> oh shit. Don't risk it for that Tylenol biscuit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unless you got a real bad headache. All right, guys. Thanks so much. We'll Thank talk to you, you. later. Bye. Bye.